0: Welcome to the Heroin Cheek podcast. A podcast for people who belong to the Commonwealth, the former Commonwealth, former British colonies. By force. Because I don't want to be part of
1: that shit.
0: Who we thought, thought no that in their lifetimes, they would never fucking see it. <laughs> they thought in their lifetimes they would never see the crown up in flames. But baby, here we are. Ah, okay.
1: Okay, We don't want to be part of this narrative any longer.
0: I can't believe I'm still young for this. I thought I'd be like 50. Dude. 70 on the brink of death watching, like, the crown crumble. But here I am, babes. Youthful. Huh?
1: They need to... If I'm thinking about it, I'd be like, you know what? The way things are going, I feel like just make a dignified exit. Like, if I were there, I'd be like, listen, we had a good ride. How many centuries? We Babes. had a good ride. Let's hey. let's let's hang it up. Let's you know do the whole, <laughs> yes. let's you know you know do the whole like Monaco royal family or it's insane. Just see it's in the
0: corner. Were they just stare in the corner. They put in the cancellations later, being like, "Babs, your subscription country has ended. We're you all gonna ride. gather at this time on this day <laughs> and think about to be my country for the last time." <laughs> We'll we had you, a good run let's we'll call it you, pull your diamonds back peace the fuck up that's what we need that's what we need because it's embarrassing watching their slow death it's actually
1: you embarrassing
0: don't know what we're talking about we're talking about the wall and kate show that is just disaster ratings class. are not great even royalists are like mm, cringe babes
1: listen it's not going well they from what i understand correct me if i'm wrong because i'm not a royalist but from what i understand they had a scheduled tour because they do these tours of the commonwealth where they, spe- they either choose a specific country or a specific region but pause.
0: And, yeah not your dog sabotage not my dog hold on <laughs> anger
1: okay so i'm not a royalist but but for more what I understand about what's been happening. um, The royal family does, you know, their Commonwealth visits, which is basically ceremonial. They go out to different countries or region of the Commonwealth and they do a whole ceremonial thing. It's very still colonial and weird as fuck. And I don't know why it still happens, but it still happens. And this time, Kate and William, or William and Kate, whatever, have been to the Caribbean. And from what I've seen... (laughs) of the videos and the pictures and anything that is coming out of this visit it's been an embarrassment like no no sense of like excitement from anybody there no crowds waving to them of the photo ops that i've seen they're just weird and awkward like and you realize more than ever that the royal family is outdated like no
0: one's here for them no i mean so if you don't know just before the this little campaign tour begins The island of Belize already has protests, protesting the arrival of William and Kate. Um, It's ironic, William's brand is all about conservation and nature. He's Mm -hmm. piggybacked on his dad's thing. Um, You know, these people flying private jets around the world telling us to curb our footprints. Mm. But it's me. It's me and my unrecycled bottle of of water. That's the problem, right? Um, (laughs) Yeah. But... But it arrived to Belize. So the Belize issue is twofold. One, they are um, a former colony who is like, what are you still doing here? And then two, William is part of a company or a project that um, is looking to expand uh, their land in Belize, encroaching on some conservation. <laughs> so, here's your thing. Just how, how inconsiderate can you be? The yeah. Belize, and as per usual, as a part of any royal tour, you're going to have native people dancing for you, wearing their traditional garb that you and your grandfather have for hundreds of years, have said is savage and primal and undignified, even though mm-hmm. your grandfather was sleeping with all the women on the islands. But you know what? That's tea for some other day. Yeah. Um, And as per usual, they're having people... You know, um, put them on elephants. Again, these are people who are supposed to be environmentalists and animal um, protection people. Okay. Um, And then you have people lifting them up on those, I don't even want to know what these, what those chairs are called, the ones where you put, like, important people up. And you yeah, that. listen, it
1: is, the thing is, this is cultural. It is a cultural thing, and, we, and I acknowledge that. There's certain ceremonies that are cultural. I just find the optics
0: just weird you, as fuck. You just come off the back of, like, the whole world is looking at you crazy. You yeah. didn't know how to capitalize off Diana's goodwill. You didn't know how to capitalize off having, like, a black quote-unquote member of the family mm. i don't know who does the pr yet. they're either lazy or out of touch or there's like there have to be like actual saboteurs i refuse to believe there's anyone getting paid to do that job and is not actively sabotaging them this is outrageous but i mean i mean it could be
1: it could be sabotage but it also could be the fact that these are outdated wealthy rich people who literally have no context of <coughs> the real world at all so it's so- really
0: just them being themselves so anyway so that's belize and so these photos from belize are of them on riding on people's shoulders Ugh. um and now we know that if they have a project there that isn't going to that is trying to encroach on other people's native land that is being saved for conservation projects lol yeah. then they make it to yarirem they make it to the Jamaicans, and let me tell you, this is why I'm always pretending to be half Jamaican, half Dominican. <laughs> Not that close people aren't great. I love and colored people, the best ever. But this is isn't that is an elite combo, and you know why? Because Jamaicans told them, actually, what's the deal here? Like we really need you. And so the rumblings begin. Jamaica is going to start the proceedings of becoming independent and no longer having the queen of head of state. Okay, there we go, there we go. The table is shaking, rucking, you guys, the table is shaking, they get there. And of course the pictures they chose, listen, it is not unreasonable to have a high profile person behind a fence when there's a thousand people trying to see them. I'm going to be real with you. It's not unreasonable. But what is funny is that that that's the picture you laid with you were like that
1: no. is the picture <laughs> that is the picture and that's the picture that went viral that is what encompassed Somebody
0: on the team said, this is the picture this is the one that's going to make her look so relatable like she loves black people
1: yeah Horrible. Um, and there, i think there was even a video that was kind of embarrassing Commit, oh, commit oh to her wrong. wiping her hand after shaking black people's hands. Death. That, and just being <laughs> awkward. There was this one, um, excuse uh, forgive me, for <laughs> <knowing her> <laughs> forgive me for not knowing her title. Forgive me for not knowing her title. Um, but there's a woman, like a pretty high-ranking woman from Jamaica that was like trying to be really friendly with her and talk to her and like was kind of being out, I don't think in an invasive way. But you could see the discomfort on Kate's face and her body language. It was so weird. I was just like, this is a mess. This is an absolute mess.
0: Well, because they get taught that royal decorum as you are the queen, the king, the duchess, the, few, the, the future queen of England. So you don't touch people, you don't do this, you don't do that. Yeah, what yeah. they keep forgetting the world has moved on if i meet yeah. any royal person i'm gonna tell you right now I'm not shaking hands i'm actually gonna ask you no. straight away where the fuck are the diamonds i don't yeah. care i don't Bring care a, anybody, not a curtsy not a bow not a man not yeah, a mom, ham, nothing not not babes at best you'll get hrh because i think it sounds groovy but that's about yeah. it
1: that's about it you're
0: not my head of state you You don't like me me. who are you babes if anything you're a shit you're an international shit to me
1: exactly and they don't get that disconnect they don't get that
0: and so there's been this drive and you know beanie man who is an international icon can't say the same for william nor kate beanie man international icon jamaican citizen is just like what do they do here right cute little video it goes viral around the internet what do they do here what's the vibe Mm -hmm. maybe we need them behind great and so this this all kind of converges and somehow somehow the likes of dan what's his face conservative british media royalist this is all megan's fault and her propagandists who are her propagandists
1: they love to have Megan in their mouths. How like can you blame
0: Megan for something she legit isn't part of? Like she's not a member of the royal family. She's in California shopping for plants with her husband, taking yep. care of the children. And you know, you're just like, oh, this half black chick, it's her fault again. And it's like, no, no, Kate is literally unlikable. I want I want to be the first person to say that Kate is the kind of white woman in a room when I walk in I avoid. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely. She's, I she's, avoid her because I know what time it is. If you know what I'm talking about, type. yeah. you know those crow's lines around her eyes that have formed so prematurely? It's because of the scowl she makes. You yeah. know what kind of white woman makes that scowl. I don't even have to tell you if you've walked into a room and it's just white people. You know exactly what time it is. She,
1: she's that white woman who like gives you that smile. You know that smile. Oh gosh, the, the person knows one that
0: one, as if I asked her like,
1: what? Yeah. What that smile know? that one no but you know what it's the pr is not going to get better for them because if there's one person who's going to be hated more than than kate it's camilla and they want to they trying to make camilla the queen so that's not it's not going to work do out you for think
0: so queen. i don't even know who's i feel like they've chosen these two like quite unlikable white ladies to take to take to, to, to take on these very likable women who give them the opportunity to be more relatable it's 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 their rebellion against being relatable yeah. that is going to steal this gig from them. Because that's uh-huh. the, this is, they are the they are the first and ultimate influences. They have no real political power. People who keep saying that Queen Elizabeth is the reason the Commonwealth has stayed do not understand politics. This woman yeah. has no real political power. This family has no real political power. They are at the whim of parliament yeah and parliamentary decisions they're, they 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 get given a budget these aren't people with power they don't have no teeth
1: they have anyway. nothing you know, they're outdated i give them like if charles takes over whenever that is they're not i don't think they i don't think they survive charles's
0: reign That's this is going opinion. to be the craziest year for them if the queen dies and they have to cancel twiz in one year <laughs> with with like first of all diana's ghost is doing things megan can't ever do alive is what oh, i no no, no, no. <laughs> want working. She's, she's working, working. yes i like it it's strong yeah. um but moving on to insensitivity i'm sorry i, I just want to talk about And I'm, I'm gonna briefly mention i don't know what's happening with our society where we think it's appropriate and okay to post videos of people dying if you are guilty of that I'm not going to judge you for watching something. I know some of you have dark curiosity, but you cannot repost things like that, guys. I don't know what world we live in.
1: Yeah, my thing is with, first of all, I know the video you're referring to and thank God I have not seen it. But that's something that I've noticed specifically on Twitter because, I mean, I guess that's where I am most of the time when it comes to social media. There's just no regard for other people and other triggers and just like basic human decency. Um, As much as I don't, like instagram that much and i'm not as frequently on it i will say i do think instagram is a bit better when it comes to trigger warnings um and just i don't know man if, if, if twitter is just like another world it's like the wild wild west there anything goes It's just yeah
0: disturbing. um just awful and it, it isn't j- I mean like there's a war going on and people are far too invested in this war as if it's the first one that's ever happened so you know that once yep. once once that, once there's videos of people dying they're going to post them for shock value just I don't know when our society spiraled into such a place that we think it's okay to watch people die would we find it fascinating I just wanted to stop because I think we're perpetuating a lot of stuff that is so terrible for our mental health It's horrible.
1: Like, we're not supposed to see this shit. We're not supposed to be desensitized to watching somebody die. Like, that isn't something that's, like, part of our evolution. And if it is, then we're
0: going to a very
1: scary place.
0: We really are. Um, Speaking of mental health, we are going to now discuss in this episode, our main focus is going to be on mental health, particularly black mental health. And we're going to have, like, you know, we could talk, talk about everybody's mental health, but we're going to also have a keen focus on black m- male mental health and how that has suddenly become a conversation. And I say suddenly because I think, in a positive way, people are accepting that it is a necessity for us to discuss mental health in our black communities on the continent and in the diaspora. So um, we. We're very fortunate to have a guest, um, a mental health specialist, um, to join us and discuss mental health in South Africa and also just global mental health trends. Um, So that's what's going to be following up right after this. And so, okay, off the back of this last Jesus episode where there's well sorry genius episode so off the back of this last genius episode of the Kanye trilogy on Netflix um, we can tell that the subject of a documentary starts to grapple and battle with um, mental health issues and, and you know so clearly some substance issues also um and another remarkable and young black artist has recently um taken their life and is no longer with us because they've lost their battle with depression and you know there are various other artists like your kid cuddies who've come forward to say i struggle with mental health and it's held me back and these are people with money and resources and so and, and platforms and so we've unfortunately unfortunately so fortunately in a way of exposure seen these people struggle but unfortunately their struggle is public um and their struggle with mental health and so To discuss this issue, because these are not our expertise, but we recognize the issue, we've invited a young, dynamic, black clinical psychologist to break down what mental health really is. And so, please... All right. Okay. So I'm going to, Luiso. I'm going to edit that out, and I'm just going to say we're going to have. A, so what? What? What should we call you then? Just Loiso and like um, our our Louisa mental health smart. expert, right? Mm. All right. Great. Okay. So we've invited a mental That's health perfect. expert, a young black millennial also. Uh, Loiso Magobela, who works in the mental health sector. Do- um, uh, Loiso, welcome.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I'm really, really happy to be here and to speak about these issues with you. So, let's and dive everyone, right really. into it.
0: You know, there's been a lot of chatter, as I've just mentioned, around mental health, especially in the past few years. with The number of celebrities or people of prominence talking about their own personal struggle. Um, I think the pandemic has also kind of exposed um, a lot of people to their own mental health crises and issues Um, and so as, as, as a professional in this sector can you please tell us what is mental health really?
2: Well, mental health has often been confused with so many different aspects of life. And I think it's really just the state of emotional, psychological, and social well-being. And it affects the way that we think, the way we feel, and the way that we act. And it often determines the way that we relate to people and others, it affects the way we make healthy choices in our lives. And it also affects the way that we handle stress. So, because of that, it is basically a state of well being. And it allows us to, you know, affect or really realize our abilities and potential in, you know, life. And that's basically the state of, you know, psychological well being or mental health or mental wellness, if you will. And Based on what you were saying earlier, I think what happens is that people struggle to find the state of well-being due to emotional difficulties, psychological difficulties, social difficulties, despite the fact that they might have all this money, despite the fact that they may have power, glory, fame, celebrity, because they are actually struggling with other issues that are affecting their capacity to be in the world.
0: Okay, um... You have, um, you and I have previously discussed the relevance and the prevalence. Um, I think of this burgeoning um, social media therapy or social media mental awareness or movement currently happening, taking momentum that really took off during the pandemic, mm. but has now kind of refined yes. itself, especially with a lot of, with a lot of help from mental health professionals such as yourself have created pages specifically on Instagram and TikTok to help others and give them tips with how to cope with mental health issues. Now, there has been some critique from other folks who feel as if this is not enough, right? This is not enough. This is just a kind of acknowledging that there's an issue or giving people buzzwords to use and not actual help. What are your thoughts on... I guess, what we'll call the field the IG or social media, feel good mental health movement?
2: Sure, that's a big uh, question there. And um, I guess I'm in two minds about it. On the one side of things, as a sort of advocate for mental health, I think it's important to empower everyone with knowledge around mental illness around symptoms around you know concepts such as setting boundaries in relationships and understanding certain concepts which are very important actually for people to know so that they can be aware of maybe where things might be going wrong in their relationships or maybe where they may be struggling to um with certain symptoms or factors in their lives where they might know, okay, maybe there might be something wrong here, maybe I need to check up with a professional here and there. And I think that that's where the sort of social media awareness of concepts may be important in terms of mental illness and mental health awareness. And I think that advocacy is so important. However, I wouldn't go as far as to say that it is a replacement or some kind of, you know... Yeah, I guess a replacement, I'll say, for mental uh, the relationship that one would develop with a psychotherapist because I think research has shown that part of psychotherapy and what makes psychotherapy work is actually the therapeutic relationship. So Mm. those pages are very, very important and I will never take away from them. But they are not going to ever replace the importance of that one-on-one or maybe if you're in group therapy for example the relationship that you have with a therapist whether that relationship is happening remotely when you're doing teletherapy or you're doing therapy via Skype whatever or if you're going to be in the room with your therapist And I know that obviously changed with COVID and what was going on there but it doesn't replace that kind of space that you have when you are actually grappling with whatever you're grappling with with your therapist in that space but it does provide a forum a place and a you know an environment for people to become socially aware of there are these things in the world that people that are grappling with with mental health health rather so it makes it more accessible it makes it more available for people to be aware of and then it allows people to then go okay well maybe i'm grappling with this I think where the difficulty comes in is when people start to self-diagnose. And I think that that's where a lot of the critique comes from. Where professionals such as myself might find ourselves being very cautious of dispensing too much information where some people will come into the room and say, you know what, I think I've got this, I've got that, I've got this, I read this on Google. And it happens not just with mental health, but it also happens with you know physical health. health. Doctors mm-hmm. will also happen to come in and sits with the patient and say, you know, what's happening with you? And the patient will go on a list and say, I think I've got whatever, chondritis, whatever. No, obviously, that's not a real thing. But because they went onto Google and then they saw this whole list of things that happened because they've had two symptoms. So I think it's one of those double-edged swords that one always has to be aware of when, you know, you put a list of symptoms together online and you give it to people to see. So on the one hand, it's important to say, yeah sure, let's let people have this information, but let's also to, you know, have that caveat of this is not meant to be for diagnostic purposes. It's meant for you to take this, think about what's going on for you, and then take it to the professional to make the diagnosis.
1: Can I, um, Louisa, can I ask you, um, recently, um, I don't know if you probably heard about um, the whole thing that happened with Travis Scott, um, where a bunch of people were kind of um a bunch of people died and then some people were injured and traumatized from a festival Mm. that he had and something that came out on social media that I wasn't aware of that really kind of shocked me is that apparently there is an an app or various apps um that uh have professional um therapists on them And so much like you would go on like uber or something to like order a car or like um order food you can go onto an app and request a licensed therapist to speak to you um so my question surrounding that when i found out about it one i get that it's probably an effort in democratizing or helping to democratize mental health for people and having it be as accessible as possible Um, but you touched on this whole relationship, having an actual relationship with your therapist and having that kind of like a dialogue that's open consistently so what would be your view on something like that because I would imagine that if I went onto that app and I requested a licensed therapist am I always going to get the same therapist um how do I develop that kind of relationship and what do you think of those kind of um avenues that people are taking because there's a part of me that also feels like that could be exploitative as well um whether it's the people that are going on there or the actual therapists themselves. Um, so I just want to get your view on that, if you would have an opinion on it.
2: Mm. To be honest, I haven't actually given it much thought uh, regarding what that might mean. And I think from a ethical standpoint, mm. I think what we're trying to do is really to provide uh, patients with an avenue to access services which have historically been you know left for the elite and I think if I think of South Africa in particular psychotherapy is known to be something that has been left to those who can afford to pay the what is considered an exorbitant fee um, uh, which means of course that it can only be you know accessed by a certain uh, sense of people you know and that's often meant historically white people So I think on the one hand, it really has been something that has been done to say, yes, let's give therapy to everybody. Let's make it such that you can request a therapist here. I do know what apps you're talking about. I know one of them I think might be called BetterHelp. Um, I stand corrected, of course. But there are these apps that I actually did look up and thought about them and thought, yeah, this is such a good idea in terms of trying to make this process, this, this space, this service, accessible to those who have been disenfranchised and everything but on the other hand given how i trained and you know the modality i work from as well as what i know about the process i find myself very much feeling very conflicted about what it means to be able to like an uber as you say say i'm going to request a therapist because i've been traumatized and then i see this therapist once and okay that helped, but then when i go back on the app I don't get Mm. that same therapist. And Mm. from what I know in terms of the way in which I trained and what I know about the research in terms of, you know, what makes psychotherapy effective, the therapeutic relationship also plays an important role. So I am quite cautious around the idea that, you know, being able to request the service in terms of, okay, I need therapy. I just need one session here and there. And that being effective, Now, I'm not too sure that that might be useful when what I know from research is that maybe what you need is maybe two or three sessions with the same person, and that might be effective. So it is one of those things where it's like, yes, we're trying to close the gap, make the service accessible, and it is, I think, a very good effort. But then there's also the other research that says, well, I think May the, I please the jump in relationship is also important.
0: And and say that because I spend a lot of my mm. time and like I'm I'm a, I'm a half in South Africa, half here. I use tele service and I use the one you're referring to, BetterHelp. So actually, it's not like Uber where you just order. Um, it's mm. actually quite extensive, especially with particularly with BetterHelp. They're mm. the best one. Um, what happens is you log on, you put in your payment details, there are different tiers. And so I would like to call this the democratization of mental health counseling and therapy. Because there are different payment and payment options, um, tiers according to your budget. When you are assigned a and you list what your issues are, you can prefix that you would like a queer therapist, a, a therapist of color, female or male, um, and who specializes in certain areas. Um, your therapist may be a psychologist or a counselor, but everybody is very, um, everybody's credentials are listed. And when they match you with the therapist, you are given options once you and once you're happy with your option you that's your therapist for the duration until such time that you either feel like that your time with this particular um, counselor or therapist has ended or um you just don't want to do therapy anymore but that's actually how it works and i've been using that since, since i've been using it since okay just before the pandemic began um and i have remained i've 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 yeah i've had two different therapists because it's been oh my gosh two years of this pandemic and i've been in different phases and my my needs for cool. therapists have changed and that app has accommodated that um okay i mean uh, that's
1: that's great to hear because i obviously don't i don't have the experience of it it's just that was my objective view well unfortunately I data
0: is still a very big issue in south africa and so a service like this is just not in our immediate future i don't think it's feasible mm-hmm. right now um in terms of a democratization of mental health but it is yeah. It, it, it does stick to those those principles of creating a relationship, an ongoing relationship that's quite personalised to your personal issues and your personal traumas. Mm. So, I do think that it's something that had, could have such value in our South African context. But um, you know, we could...
2: and I think I wanted to add is sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt you. Then that of course answers exactly what I was saying in terms of my concerns because obviously I didn't know about the app but it says everything in terms of the ethics and the theory of what makes important and great psychotherapeutic practice and if we were to be able to of course implement something like that like betterhop into a country like South Africa that would make mm. fundamentally psychotherapy much more accessible to those who are you know in different areas because that's one of the difficulties we are facing in the country which is how do you make psychotherapy accessible to somebody who cannot travel to a certain part of the country to see their psychotherapist once a week or once every two weeks or even once a month because they live here there or everywhere else i thought yeah okay yeah that that definitely
1: that definitely makes sense but yeah that's a, that's a very interesting um aspect of mental health right now um and what i've always wondered or what i want to touch on is um what are the different styles of therapy i think most people that are not familiar with therapy have a view of it that's probably influenced by like what you see in media so, like, if you watch a show and a character is going to their therapist or something, so like, if you, let's say if you're watching The Sopranos or Sex in the City or something, you have that idea of this, this is what therapy is. Um, but obviously there's different styles of therapy, so I just kind of um, want to open that topic up and delve into what types of therapy people can get.
2: Sure. So I'm going to start with what is often seen on television, which is the psychodynamic Mm. approach. Sigmund Freud, everybody thinks of lying on the couch or even sitting on the couch and your therapist talks to you about your issues stemming from your mother, as they say. Yes. Um, But really what that is, it's not really as simple as that. The essence of psychodynamic approach or uh, psychoanalytic approach is really looking at building insight and awareness. And the idea is that a person has unconscious feelings, thoughts, memories, and motivations that influence their current behavior. And you find yourself working with the therapist to try and uncover what those unconscious feelings, etc., are, and to help you to be able to manage those unconscious elements and to be able to shift those things in order to be able to shift your unhelpful patterns of relating and being in the world. And that's one of the reasons why it's so popular to be put on television because, you know, it's a very depth psychology. It's very in-depth. On the other hand, we have CBT or Cognitive Behavior Therapy, and that looks at understanding your maladaptive thoughts and feelings which influence your behavior. So... It often looks at what thinking styles or unhelpful thinking styles you might have, whether it's black and white thinking or jumping to conclusions and looking at unhelpful core beliefs that you have about yourself, others in the world and how those influence your emotions and how those influence how you behave in the world. And you do a lot of homework exercises, very, very hands-on practical with your therapist who is very involved in helping you with guided discovery changing your behaviors and challenging your behaviors and it's a very very different approach to psychodynamic um, therapy then we have humanistic therapy which is a very it's like a positive psychology I like to call it and the therapist treats you with unconditional positive regard you are the expert in your own life in other words it's all about maximizing your potential as a human being and that's not to say that any of the other approaches don't have that same thought but this is the main crux of the humanistic approach the goal is self-actualization and it involves really just trying to help you to become the best version of yourself as people like to say you know, and it's all about of exploration. Then we have dialectical behavior therapy developed by Dr. Marshall Linehan. And that synthesizes the skills of acceptance and change to achieve a sense of balance, right? And acceptance and change are two opposite forces which could be true at the same time. And what we do there is that we look at distress tolerance skills. So how do I handle distress skillfully? How do I regulate my emotions? How do I become more mindful or present in the motion, in the moment? So, you know, mindfulness has become the big buzzword at the moment. How do you meditate? How do you find yourself being in the present moment? And how do I become more interpersonally present in the here and now in order to achieve balance in my life? And those are just four of the very many modalities that we can use um, in psychotherapy to help people. Each one has its pros and cons. Each one is helpful for each different kind of patient. So it's not a one size fits all approach. And I think a lot of therapists will say they have a particular style that they choose to work with, but they can move between styles in order to help a particular patient achieve whatever it is they need to achieve in order to achieve the life worth living that they would like to live. And that's our goal in essence in psychotherapy.
0: Wow, that's so insightful.
2: I hope I answered the question. Um,
0: I'm just now realizing Mm. as somebody who's been doing um, or engaged in therapy, I'm very fortunate and privileged to have been engaged in therapy and had the resources since I was 18. Um, But the average Black South African doesn't have that privilege. And as we're becoming more aware of the importance of mental health, you know, we've moved from huge. We've moved from amaFufunyane and demons to people understanding that like there are real names and there are reasons for these things happening. So we've progressed immensely, but in your professional opinion, as black people, what are the things inhibiting us from addressing mental health properly in South Africa?
2: Yo, big question big 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 question um well i think that you know to touch on you know i and all of that i think that it's a matter of honestly not recognizing the fact that maybe those things could indeed be a real lived experience for the black south african and then also finding a way to synthesize or integrate that with the possibility of mental illness as well anxiety depression and amongst that trauma and i think that that, including um i suppose maybe tr- um stigma around mental illness also plays a big role and the reason i'm saying that is because the legacy that apartheid has left with um psychotherapy and it's a very profound legacy has made it very difficult for any person of colour, I think, to seek psychotherapeutic services. Psychotherapy is predominantly a white-dominated field. It also has had a very complicit role in the way in which mental health services have been dispensed in the country as a whole. That's why there's been a whole role towards the decolonization of psychotherapy and psychotherapeutic services in our country. And I think that for a lot of Black South Africans, there has been this suspicion towards this thing called psychotherapy. How are these people gonna understand my service, my needs? What services can they really provide for me? If I start to talk to them about my issues, how are they gonna understand me? There's a view that psychotherapy is elitist, and with in true to form, I think it can be. Imagine paying, you know, up to a thousand rand and even more per session. To see somebody to talk about my difficulties when i am earning less than about three thousand four thousand rand a month it's one of the reasons why people will go for maybe one or two sessions a month or maybe and then they then don't stay and then of course there's the difficulty that comes with i need to find a therapist of my race maybe even of my culture language and they are few or far between so there are all these barriers that come into actually wanting to seek therapy, and then there's also the staying in therapy that also gets in the way. And then, of course, the stigma that comes with, of course, for men, and I think when you brought up the difficulties that were happening with um, recently with mental illness in black men, there's that that plays a role as well. Men aren't supposed to be weak. Men aren't supposed to have these kinds of feelings. They're supposed to handle everything on their own. And I think the same is true for women as well. Women are revered, for example, black women, for their resilience. And I think that all these factors, I think, interweave with the other various issues around race and culture that make it very difficult, amongst others, that I think you all might know for yourselves. And I imagine you have a lot to say, too around what might make it difficult for black people to go for psychotherapy. Then you want to add in the extra layer now of queerness. Mm. Imagine being a queer body going to psychotherapy and having to face the fear of not being understood, validated, seen, respected. It's just so difficult. And I think it's all yeah. these layers that make it very dr- tricky for anybody to want to go to a professional topic, who though, might not understand Do you it. see us,
0: uh, do you see, do you see us growing as black millennials no, no, in South Africa? Do you see our understanding yeah. of mental health and the importance of it growing in that, in that way? Do you see, do you see us flourishing or, or, or growing as a, as, as a cohort as of black millennials?
2: Yes. Um, Obviously, I'm speaking as one therapist, I cannot speak for all, but from my experience, there has been this very interesting rise in the importance of mental health and mental wellness in black millennials and this pull or push, if you will, towards wanting to be better, wanting to just not be the way things were before and wanting to maybe break the uh, cycles of trauma that had been maybe passed down to us from those before us, our parents, our grandparents and wanting to do better. And I'm not sure if that's because of what we've seen or maybe things like I I noticed in terms of fees must fall. It was almost like we're not going to take this, we're not going to sit sit with these um, traumas that everyone else made us sit with. We're going to do better. And even though it might not have resulted with the same kind of outcome as maybe we were expecting, there's just the sense of wanting to progress, wanting to be better. And I think that there's something going on there. And I think I think it has to do with the idea of wanting to be better and wanting our mental health to be to flourish. And there's a there's a real seeking for that. And it's just just very difficult I think when there's not enough mental health care professionals out there to serve the population
1: no definitely um what what i wanted to expand on which you've kind of lightly touched on um is why there are so few black psychologists in in south africa um is it because people that are choosing to go into you know a medical field are more likely to choose a certain route or an avenue and it's not an appealing thing for 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 black people to want to become psychologists um i would imagine there's obviously also other factors that come into play socio-economic factors as well but um yeah if we can kind of delve into why there's so few black psychologists
2: so the funny thing is, I'm going to start this uh, by saying that, in terms of s- psychologists in general, the ratio of psychologists, first of all, in South Africa, from what I've read, is that it's 1.4 psychologists per 100,000 population. Oh, that was the last uh, I read in terms of the ratio. So it's, it's not no. a. It's not a. It's not a nice number. Um, so that's already an issue and I just wanted to start, that, start with that and then I thought maybe to sort of, you know, say something that might be quite personal to, to some of the listeners and also to maybe the both of you as well. Growing up, you might have heard about the, the big four careers, um, lawyer, engineer, doctor, And uh, what was the fourth one now?
1: Like an accountant or something. Accountant.
2: That's it. Right.
1: Yeah.
2: So A, B, C, D, and then E was everything else, but it didn't count. Mm. In terms of psychotherapy or psychology, psychology is such a difficult field to navigate because a lot of people think to become a psychologist, you do your three years and you're done. It's your three years of undergraduate study. It's an honors. Then it's a competitive master's whereby they only choose between 6 and 10 students per year to do the master's program. So that already cuts things down quite finely. After, after you finish your master's, which is a grueling process of self-exploration and having to understand yourself in order to be able to actually work with patients, you have to do an internship a year, comserv, which is a year, a board exam, which you must pass very highly, and only then do you qualify. So it is not the most attractive career when if you choose the other big four careers, your career is most likely to be set out and the financial gain is far more lucrative than to choose this field. And Mm. I think that that also plays a major role in terms of why the numbers aren't that high of black clinical psychologists. Mm. That being said, I also think it's a matter of where black clinical psychologists practice. So I think they do exist and our numbers are growing. But if we're sitting mostly in certain parts of like the metropoles or certain parts of the cities, you might not find us. Um, I don't know if maybe there's a part, maybe we don't advertise ourselves as much, or maybe it's not that we aren't being advertised as well i'm not sure what's going on but the numbers are growing so in terms of the health professions council of south africa where we are all registered uh, the research was saying that our numbers have grown we are actually much bigger than we were before where in i think a few years back i mean it was maybe like only 10 to 15 percent of the psychologists on the on the board were black but now it's a good like 45 so 50%, which is still not a great number, but once again, it, there has been growth. But I think it also has to do with where those psychologists practice too, as you said, where some may go into research, some may go into neuropsychology, some may go into uh, organizational or industrial psychology, which is not clinical psychology. So if we're branching off into those fields, clinical and counseling psychologies might not be seen so i think it's also those factors that come into play and then of course maybe some psychologists may move out of the field and go into other fields as well so it's also that thing as well it's not it's not as glamorous as many people make it out to be and i think when we're dealing with black south africans in general who also would want careers which are a bit more financially lucrative This career is not the most lucrative in that respect. And I think that also plays a part in terms of why. It's a big investment. It's a very big investment. And the return on investment may not be as financially rewarding as a career such as accounting, engineering, computer science.
0: Um, so if one can't afford Mm -hmm. therapy, what can one do to address their mental health issues?
2: Mm. I think one of the things that I think this is another point of contention now but we do have the South African depression and anxiety group and I think a lot of people will say that it's sometimes hard to get counseling there but they are one of the better sources for counseling in South Africa because they do have 24 hour hotlines. I know that they do have a number. I just I actually have, I have that, a that number too. Um, to I mean, page,
0: they're, but- they're a non-profit yeah. and, they're pro, and they're, they're pro bono. So, and they've also started offering online mm. counselling, I believe.
2: Absolutely. They do. And they are doing from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. I think Monday to Sunday counselling, which you can call in for them. And they do really, really great work. FAMSA, the family uh, group of South Africa, also do great counselling. Hope House do counselling as well. I think it's more Christian-based. And I think it's in Cape Town. But these are some of the non-profit organisations which are really trying to bridge the gap. And I think the other way to go about counselling, especially, and this of course is very difficult, but for university students is to actually... Uh, seek out your um, university counselling services. I know they offer a certain amount of sessions, but they definitely work. And then for those of you who are working um, in your particular fields of work, your employee assistance programmes also ensure that you get six sessions or eight sessions, I think it is, with a clinical psychologist or counselling psychologist, which comes with the programme. Um, And they also provide those services for the people in your family, which is something that some people don't know. So the Employee Assistance Program also provides the uh, services for members of your immediate family. So that's also something that people might want to do if, let's say, um, you are struggling or maybe your son is struggling. You might also want to invest in that. As for other services, it's actually quite hard to find a number of services and I think it's because a lot of the times, and I think this is just a, this is me speaking as myself, I would not speak for other psychologists, but I find that at the moment it's very hard for maybe government or, you know, yeah, the government to put in a lot of finances into mental health, you know organisations at the moment, because a lot of our issues have been put towards all our other issues like TB or HIV. And I think that that's possibly one of the difficulties that we're facing in terms of, where can I look for places for mental health? And then the other ways to do it is to really just to go to your general hospitals and see what they have in terms of the clinics that they have there as well. And each government website does have mental health care facilities where you can also try and find out where these um, places are. So Western Cape government has a a website where you go mental health and then you can just check. And I know that the Hardin government has the same as well. If you
0: would like to find out more of the services that the South African Depression and Anxiety Group offer, you can either call them on 011-234-4837 or you can visit their website, sadag.org, that's S-A-D-A-G.org. Please be aware that they are based in Johannesburg, but do offer services nationally. If you are based in Cape Town, uh, the Hope House organization does offer services and counseling all over Cape Town, uh, namely Bergfleet, Kales River, Tableview, and Kailicha. You can visit their website at hopehouse.org.za to get each area's uh, specific number. Uh, Loiso, I can't thank you enough for joining us and giving us such a robust um, and holistic breakdown of what mental health really is and what it can be for the Black South African millennial.
2: Uh, thank you so much for having me, and uh, I hope I have been able to, you know, give at least one shade of what could be going on for the Black millennium, mm-hmm. Black Millennial, rather. And uh, I hope that many can add to the conversation in terms of their experiences, and other clinicians can. Yeah, to I think we might
0: even conference. look into hosting a spaces sometime so in the future for this very topic. yeah all right then um thank thank you so so much it's a pleasure